you know, the Mason Wynn experiment is going to continue and it's going to be, you know, more important than any former, you know, quasi star or bona fide star, you know, trying to get back to what they once were. Welcome back, everyone, to Broadway and Clark. This is your host, Mark, with my co-host, Duncan. And we are coming at you after a big weekend of playoff football. Division rounds just concluded. Uh, <clears throat> probably not a lot of surprises in the football, but we're not here to analyze that. Uh, I would uh, direct you to any number of Pods for uh, plenty of pro football talk. We're here to talk about pro baseball, specifically Cardinals baseball. And as we are now about four, under four weeks from the pitchers and catchers reporting, we uh, had a little more news today uh, regarding the Cardinals roster. I uh, got an old friend back in the fold, locked up for two years. Duncan, what happened today? Yeah, so uh, you mentioned, firstly, you mentioned uh, a little uh, football stuff happening. Beloved uh, Packers went down. Uh, so another reason for me to look a little bit more forward to the baseball season and spring training uh, as my football team is out now, unfortunately. But they were not even expected to make it as far as they did. So positive season overall for them uh, but like you said other podcasts available for more football talk uh today uh some news for the cardinals um previously uh when the deadline for arbitration terms and everything to be set uh the only player that did not come to terms uh with the team for arbitration was Tommy Edmond. Uh, there was a little hullabaloo about uh, why that was the case, you know, why is the club cheap, uh, and not spending the money to um, sign Edmond with the, the arbitration figures and trying to take him to arbitration and all of that. That is now over. Uh, the Cardinals and Tommy Edmond are going to be avoiding arbitration not only for this year, but also for next year, his last year of arbitration before he becomes a free agent. So no more arbitration with Tommy Edmond. They, he signs a two-year deal with the Cardinals. Instead of going year-to-year year with the arbitration years, um, He just the Cardinals just ended up buying out his last two years of arbitration until he's a free agent. So those two years at $16.5 million dollars, Coming out to, of course, eight and a quarter uh, million dollars per year. Um, however, you want to look at it, usually uh, arbitration slowly increases um, those one year uh, salaries for players. So if you want to look at it as seven and then nine and a half, or if you want to look at it as eight and a quarter for each year, it uh, doesn't really matter. I don't, I wonder how that's actually going to go in the books and everything, but. Uh, um, but yeah, that's all taken care of, and 
Uh, Cardinals have Tommy Edmond locked up, and that brings uh, a, a load of other questions about what that means for the roster, some prospects, um, and those kind of things. Uh, some some certainty in some places, and then some uh, uncertainty and questions in others. So, uh, what's your initial initial thoughts after hearing the the news with the the deal and everything, Mark? Well, we're locking up our our last regular. Um, he's really the only one that was part of the team last year and considered an important part of it. I mean, arguably our most important defender, I think by far. Um, he plays the two most important defensive positions other than catcher. And we don't have an answer. I mean, obviously we got Mason Wynn penciled in at short and we're hoping that all his promise comes to fruition and he has a rookie of the year type year. But if he's hurt or not able to, you know, or doesn't produce, you know, I'm not going to really think about that, but just if he's slow out of the box and we feel like, you know, maybe not, Set, you know, six days a week, seven days a week, however many games are scheduled. Uh, the options aren't that great. I think Tommy was always considered the backup. And I think we were talking about it recently. I don't know that Brendan Donovan has played much short. Uh, he could probably do it for a game or two or in an a in a pinch, but right now you've got uh, Fermin on the roster, and that's about it. You know, other than, of course, Mason Wynn and, and Tommy. So we had to get this done. He's one of our regulars. Uh, you and I were talking recently. I still believe we need another middle infielder. And maybe we can talk about a few of the, you know, guys that are still out there, if any of them potentially could slot in. I like the price for Tommy. I like that it's two years. I could easily see the Cardinals, you know, either ripping up the second year or going into free agency, you know, next winter, a year from now, talking to Tommy about a potential you know, long-term extension, locking him up for the first three or so years, maybe even longer of his free agency. You know, what's a what's an everyday starter, a competent center fielder, um, you know, a guy that's probably going to get you a 750-ish or better OPS every year, Um you know, obviously anything 850 or above would be would be all-star type level, especially if you're a solid center fielder. Um, you know, what's a guy like that going to cost you? Is he going to cost you 12 a year, 15 a year? You know, what would Tommy sign for? I think it left him a lot of options because he still hits free agency at the same time. Uh, and it got the 
it got the team a really solid player for the next two years, but it autom- it automatically starts the clock on addressing uh, Tommy as our you know part of our long term future. Is that do you, do you agree with that, or do you think I'm worried about something that doesn't need to be worried about? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it definitely, uh, like you said, I like how you kind of described that starting the clock on trying to figure out where he fits in with the long term future of the club and. Uh, you think about the position that he's in and everything right now. Um, he's kind of, you know, super utility kind of guy. I would consider him like that more than I would consider him a center fielder uh, or a shortstop. Maybe you consider him more of an everyday second baseman if he's going to be locked in at a particular position. Uh, I would kind of think, but I, I think clubs and everything would see him more as a super utility kind of guy um but i think uh, i think that uh, brings up an interesting question too with uh you know if we're looking at him as a long-term uh part of this team and this club where do we see him because i i get the impression that we like what he did at center field, but I don't get the impression that the team is like, all right, this is our center fielder. We're going to try to lock him up at center field for him to be there for the next six, seven years. I don't get that impression. I also don't get the impression that he's going to be, you know, our shortstop long term or even second baseman, just considering the other players that we have on the squad, too. So he seems. Maybe just to fit into that Ben Zobris type super utility uh, sort of player, uh, which is very valuable, of course, too. Um, but it, I, one thing I was thinking about, too, was just thinking through different scenarios in my head uh, that could happen throughout the season. So, you know, he's going to start at center field, uh, is the projection and what we're thinking right now. Um, like you were mentioned about. Mason Wynn, what if he struggles, gets hurt, whatever the case is? If either of those things do happen, do you anticipate the Cardinals to move him, move Tommy to shortstop and play there every day? And then just having Dylan Carlson move up from that fourth outfielder spot to either take over in center or try to put Lars in center and. Dylan Carlson in one of the corners or uh, what are, What are your kind of thoughts with that? Because I, I think that's the direction that they would go versus trying to play Fermin every day because you'd want to try to get Tommy, Donnie, and uh, uh, Gorman in the lineup as much as you can to get their bats in there. I mean, I guess you could do Alec Burleson too, uh, play him in the outfield if you're going to move Tommy into short too, but um, – I don't know. Just kind of interesting. I'm just kind of thinking out loud with that. Is that kind of the direction that you would move with that, or you think they're going to go? I mean, yeah, we look at last year. They basically just committed to Newton Center for most of the ABs. Now, part of that was Carlson was hurt, and then even when he got healthier, he wasn't producing – I don't know where he fits in the long-term plan. I mean, that's obviously one that has to be kind of figured out. 
if he's not going to be, you know, like like right now as it stands, I agree he's probably our fourth outfielder. But I don't know that we're in love with that. Yeah. Uh, when you were saying, you know, you don't know if they believe Tommy's the future in center, for example, I don't disagree. The only thing I would say is, if not him, then who? And I don't think that person's on the roster. Pardon me right now. So that's something that has to be figured out. Yeah. Um. And, I mean, could I see him? Like, when you talk about Zobrist, you know, Shane Victorino, those types of players over the years, I mean, all both of those guys that I'm thinking of, and, you know, you could, if we both thought about it for a few minutes, we'd probably come up with 10 other guys like this. But both of those guys had extensive, you know, everyday lineup jobs. Uh, depending on the situation. It, usually they didn't go into a season with a team where they were penciled in as the everyday second baseman or center field or whatever position it was. But, you know, it just, it just happens. If you're healthy and you're available, you know, you wind up getting, getting you know, reps. You wind up getting playing time. Because one, the only thing that you know, one thing that's absolutely certain is that every team's going to have injuries, and if you're productive, you know, I mean, everybody wants superstar at every position. But when I look at the Cardinal roster, I mean, I think I land on Tommy Edmonds, our best center fielder. When you think of the whole package, um, as of today. Now, and I would As not be surprised today, yeah, if that changes this year. Yeah, I don't disagree with you that they probably don't – they probably would like an alternative or two. Uh, we haven't talked about, you know, one of the young phenoms we have in the minors that we think Victor Scott the second might be. But obviously if he works out – then then you've got all the optionality in the world with Tommy and you can do whatever you want with him. But as it stands right now today, you know, I think it was a good deal the Cardinals made. I think they got him at a good price. He's a known quantity. And not for nothing, he's been a really good ball player the last three years, right? And so I like that. Uh, one of the other moves that they made the other day is a little bit different story. Uh, also signing a, I wouldn't say diminutive, but not not a big, powerful dude, even though his production over his career sometimes has seemed like it. Um, but, you know, getting the band back together a little bit, they brought back Matt Carpenter, who was a free agent, got released, I believe, right, from, was he with the Dodgers last? You there, Duncan?
we're good for a bit here. Kate came out and is going to give her a hand. Cool. Uh, what's going on with Char? Well, she was upset because her uh, her Ellie, her like blanky elephant thing, is all wet. Mm. Um, and she wants to snuggle with her, but doesn't want to wait for it to be dry. <laughs> and I think she's all. I think she's also having some growing pains in her legs and stuff too. Mm. Never fun. Poor thing. But uh, I know. All right. Um, <clears throat> I I missed the lead in and everything that you were mentioning. I assume you were transitioning over to Carpenter. Yes. Yeah. Who recently I believe was released by the Braves, right, Duncan? Yeah, so uh, just last month got released by the Braves. Um, I think a very intriguing uh, signing. Definitely something that I don't think anyone really had on their radar uh, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews, I guess I would say, uh, of this signing and what this would mean for the club. But uh, the positive thing and something that I think gives a little bit of context as to maybe why um, is that the way that his deal is structured and how he got released by the Braves and everything as well, the Cardinals only are required to pay him his prorated league minimum salary for any time that he spends on the roster. Um, And that is subtracted from uh, whatever Atlanta pays uh, him, which they owe basically the rest of his salary, which I think was around five million dollars uh, from there. So the Cardinals are only on the hook for the the league minimum salary, um, which is nice. So you're getting uh, a, a player that, from my viewpoint, they're bringing in for the, his leadership capacity and and role that way versus. Uh, a player that you're looking to get some kind of production from. Um, so that's that's my thoughts uh, as far as that goes. Uh, should be interesting to see kind of how he impacts the club and where he maybe fits in. And, you know, maybe he's a pinch hitter here and there. I can't imagine he's going to get a ton of playing time. I mean, even if he's a bench bat or something like that, I think there's definitely some other guys that Ollie would rather run out there versus Marp uh, to get a, a, a pinch hit at bat or something like that in the middle of the game. Uh, if you're looking at like Burleson or maybe partway through the year, they bring up Sajasi or um, something like that. So definitely uh, should be interesting. I think this is uh, a team that or a, a move that you've seen on the team. Mo and the front office generally making some moves already earlier this offseason to bolster some leadership and uh, some veteran presence in this clubhouse from a pitching standpoint with bringing in Lance Lynn and Kyle Gibson um, and even Sonny Gray. Uh, he's not a young pup uh, by any means, but he's not an old, an old man either. Um, but you've got some veterans there on the pitching side, a little bit less so on the hitting side. And really, when you think about our hitters, I mean, a lot of a, the the first thing you think of in terms of age on the hitting side is um, Arnado and, and Goldie are getting older. They're on like maybe the twilight of their career. Definitely on the the 
outskirts of their prime. Uh, let's put it that way. Um, so you think of them as being a little bit older, but really, other than that, I mean, who is our next oldest player that we have on on the squad that's in our starting lineup? I mean, is it uh, Wilson Contreras? Probably. Uh, but otherwise, Donovan, Gorman, Mason Wynn, um, our entire outfield, uh, Walker, uh, Newt Barr, and Dylan Carlson, Jordan Walker, uh, even you look on the bench, Alec Burleson. I mean, all those guys are, what, 25 and under? So we really don't have a ton of veteran presence outside of those big three names and Arenado, Goldschmidt, and Wilson Contreras, um, which they are good veteran pre- presences there and I think are good uh, players and, and leaders by example. But uh, there was something interesting that Mo said in a recent interview, and this was an interview we had with Martin Kilcoin back on the 12th, January 12th. Um, and this was actually a question that Martin had a question for about Yachty uh, coming back. And he asked Mo about, um, you know, kind of his thoughts about having Yachty around the team and was Yachty's presence um, and leadership ability uh, part of the reason in bringing him back versus just his coaching ability and knowledge of the game and that kind of a thing. Um, but he asked, he mentioned the point about uh, Yachty not he's the kind of person that's not afraid of getting in someone's face if something isn't right and but he asked if uh, that was something that he could bring in that way and Mo responded um, and agreeing with that but also saying that he he thought that was something that the team needed last year and his quote said that he quote hopes that the group will do some of that on their own if they need to this year which is really interesting to me. And if you read kind of between the lines, it sounds to me like there wasn't a a quote-unquote vocal leader in the clubhouse uh, to kind of nip some things in the bud if there was something going on or if there was some bad chemistry or something like that. And I, I, from the vibes, I guess, that I get from um, Arenado and Goldschmidt, they seem like, and even Wilson Contreras to a certain extent, they seem like good um, role models in terms of leading by example. I think Wilson Contreras is a little bit more fiery and could be more of like that rah-rah leader and that kind of a thing, which you need those kind of things too on a team for sure. But uh, definitely Arnado and Goldschmidt being more of the, the silent leaders lead by example, something like that. So not super surprising to me, I guess. Um, that they wouldn't be the quote-unquote vocal leaders to really um, nip things in the bud or something like that, the way that Yachty would would have when he was in the clubhouse or when Albert was in the team and in the clubhouse or something like that. I'm sure Wayno did that to a certain extent, um, but from my kind of understanding of clubhouses, which is limited, let's be honest, I'm not, I'm not in the clubhouse. I'm not. I don't have any kind of access or or knowledge super in-depth, but I, from what I understand, I kind of get the, the sense that there is some, like, segregation as far as, like, the pitchers and the position players in terms of, like, who you spend a lot of time with and really get to know and kind of the leadership structure. So not that 
Wayno couldn't um, lead by example or, or kind of step in and, and take a vocal leadership role. But I think that would happen more so on the pitching side versus if, you know, if there was a infielder or outfielder that was out of line or something like that, I feel like that would be put more on the plate of a, a veteran position player to take care of or the manager versus Wayno stepping in is kind of the vibe that I get. Yeah, um, I think there's something to be said for the fact that <clears throat> for hitters, they basically hate every other pitcher except the ones on their team. And for for pitchers, it's the same way, right? So both of them, their job is to foil the guy that does what their teammate does on other teams. Yeah. So I think that pitchers and hitters can be friends like socially or, you know, IRL, whatever you want to say, <clears throat> you know, off the field. That probably happens, you know, fairly often, especially, you know, when you got such diversity among players from right. their backgrounds. You know, so if I'm some dude from Southern California and, you know, I'm a pitcher, a relief pitcher, and Nato and I just click because, you know, we have some shared history or whatever, or we come from the same part of the world, that kind of thing, then maybe – you know, maybe that happens. Uh, but in terms of Arnado, I don't see him as as a clubhouse leader so much. I mean, obviously he's a leader from a production standpoint, and I think he's got all the competitiveness, you know, you'd want all of those things. But I just don't see him as having the kind of personality that's going to, you know, say, hey, follow me, boys. You know, he, he'd yeah. probably get right Which in is there. Fine. He'd probably be a good part of a, like a, you know, a veterans type committee, probably take a little bit of joy and, uh, you know, the, the kangaroo court. So he'd probably be a good judge for that, that kind of thing. But, and then with Goldie, of course, he's just, he's just that silent type he would be better to lead younger guys, you know, one-on-one, like the conversation we had last week about the time he spent with uh, Mason Wynn in Milwaukee last year. So those two things, uh, you know, I think don't really fit the script as much as like Yachty's leadership. I didn't even see Albert as a as a particularly strong leader, although, you know, by the time he left us, he was still relatively young. You know, I mean, I guess if we really knew, he might already been 33 or 4 when he left us, but uh, I don't think that's what we everybody thought. Um, and then Wilson, you know, there is a dynamic um, with Latin players sometimes – uh, you know, they're really strong and really well integrated with the rest of the clubhouse. And sometimes they tend to, you know, speak Spanish most of the time. And, uh, you know, in fairness to them, if, you know, if there's eight other guys on the roster or 10 other guys on the roster whose uh, native tongue is Spanish, then, you know, it's probably very comfortable. I mean, I think most 
American ball players will tell you that in today's MLB, if you don't take the time to learn at least a little bit of Spanish, you're probably not being a very good teammate, right? Yeah, you're going to be left behind. Yeah, so I don't know if Wilson is, you know, is a, a real crossover guy. I mean, I just don't think we know enough about him. Last year was his first year. He kind of got off on the wrong foot with the manager who, you know, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if it comes out down the road that that was completely on Ollie. But, you know, so Wilson had a had a, a season where he had to kind of figure it out. And when he finally hit his stride, uh, unfortunately for the team, the season was all but over. So we'll see what he, you know, how, how he continues to grow in that role. Um, but he's got an all-day, every-day job, too. I mean, you know, again, uh, Yachty's the exception that proves the rule, right? Usually while catchers are kind of leaders in terms of, you know, toughness and, you know, just that competitive spirit that you want. It's hard for them to be overall leaders because they're spending so much time with the staff as they should be. I mean, that's what a good catcher does. So we'll see, you know, we'll see how, how that shakes out with Wilson. I I don't disagree about uh, Matt Carpenter potentially bringing some of that element. And I also don't disagree that we probably need it, especially if the, if, you know, Mo is making a comment like that or, you know, I mean, last year there were a lot of things that went wrong, but it wouldn't surprise me to learn that one of the things was the void of, you know, losing Yachty one year and then Wayno, you know, on his last year, but, you know, kind of struggling to produce. So that wouldn't surprise me if that was part of what contributed to the struggles. And you're right. When you start naming off all these young guys, they need to be shown and taught what it means to be a 162-game major leaguer, Um, which, you know, is what Gorman's been fighting. He's not used to this much activity, you know, these many ABs. Sometimes he would slump a little. Um, So... We can always use more of that in the clubhouse. Now, my only question about Carp, Mark, is what happens? So if he if he's on the roster, that means one of the guys that we have, you know, penciled in among the 25 has to go. And when I look at kind of, you know, the assumed uh the assumed 25 I've got right now, uh, that probably leads to either Baker, because is he not our corner infield or at least our first base backup? I guess Burley played first base as well. Yeah, Burley played first base in the minors, so maybe to get him on the field, they would use him first. And I think he played a few. Over Baker. No, Baker definitely played first last year for us. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, he did when he got yeah. called up, yeah. Um, Burleson uh, has played, I think, a few games in the MLB, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but I kind of had both of those two penciled in. 
uh, on the bench, but maybe, but that that doesn't include Dylan Carlson. So if I if I replace one of those two with Dylan Carlson, you know, I mean, you got to have Herrera, and right now, just as a placeholder, if nothing else, I've got Fermin because he could play short. And then, like I said, I basically had, you know, the the, the two remaining spots, because theoretically there's only two spots. You've got you've got nine, you know, you got your eight position players plus your DH, uh, which I know that, you know, the people that that man that position, so to speak, uh change all the time, but often that's one of your eight regulars you know, kind of taking a day off or whatever, a day off out of the field. Um, I I wouldn't be surprised if they if they don't, uh, you know, out of spring training, at the end of spring training, if they don't option for mean down to the minors and just roll with Mason yep. Wynn as their number yep. one. If something happens, Tommy slots yep. down. And then if something happens and you need Tommy in the outfield, um, then you go with Donovan and just make it work. So I wouldn't be surprised if you you drop Fermin if you are needing an extra spot or something for somebody else on the twenty twenty six man and needing to get Carp in there or something like that. That's fair. Because I think you, I think you've got another enough other outfielders that you can move Tommy into short and still be okay in the outfield and make it serviceable sure well that does i mean it it definitely um you know it's you, you got a you got a little bit of a math problem if carpenter's going to be on your roster as as far as i see it you've got baker burleson dylan carlson and matt carpenter for two spots um, and like you said, if Fermin gets sent out and you don't really truly have a middle infield backup because of Donnie's uh, um, versatility and, of course, Tommy's, then, and I guess Gorman can play second, you know, if you need him to, uh, <clears throat> then, then maybe you got three spots for four guys. But one of those guys has to go. And, you know, the question is, would you rather have Mark Matt Carpenter over any of those other three guys? And I think I think spring training will answer the question, probably. Um, yeah. And if it's that added piece of leadership, you know, that veteran uh, presence, maybe that tilts it. I mean, how do you, you know, when you kind of face it that way, I mean, I don't think I'm giving any false uh, situations here, am I? I think I'm being fairly reasonable. No. Yeah, I think you're being absolutely reasonable. I think that's definitely going to be one to watch throughout spring training, see who's performing, reading some of the storylines and uh, the impact that Marp's making off the field, I guess you would almost say, or in the clubhouse, uh, to see 
may may if if there's nothing influential that's happening with him, maybe he doesn't even break with the team and it's just at the end of spring training they say, "All right, that's it. Thanks for coming." I don't know. I don't think they would do that and they would want him to actually, you know, retire as a as a cardinal, but um but they could do that too. So, but I think that's definitely going to be one to watch for throughout spring to see how those bench bench bats are going to line up and everything and who's going to win out on those jobs. I just looked at it and in his career, Brendan Donovan has played eight games at shortstop. Okay, so he's done it. Not a lot, but he's done it. Well, you talk about a guy that's played all over the field. Yeah. I mean, he's played everywhere except for catcher, probably, and pitcher. I mean, maybe he's pitched. I don't even know off the top of my head. Yeah. They don't, they, they don't, uh, it looks like he's never, well, they don't list him as ever playing center. Yeah, he probably um, didn't. That's probably because you had either Newt or Tommy available when they put him in the outfield. Looks like he played left a little bit more than right. His, But over two seasons, he played 210 games, and he was hurt a little bit. So, you know, I, I see him as an everyday. I mean, I, I think if we're going to be successful as a team this year, we're going to need a good offensive season out of him, Newt Barr, Edmund, and I need to see improvement from Jordan Walker. Everybody else, I kind of know what I'm going to get. I know what I'm going to get from our three big boys. And, you know, that can kind of vary. I mean, Arenado's season last year versus the one two or three years ago, you know, completely different. But – there's nothing – he was also dinged up and hurt last year. There's nothing to keep him from bouncing back and having a – you know, I mean, if you believe in the guy, which I certainly do. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then Gorman's an unknown, so I don't know really a whole lot to say about him, and I have no idea what I'm going to get from Mason Wynn at the plate. Right? So, so I really think the whole thing's going to hinge – on those four young studs, you know, Walker, Newt Barr, Tommy Edmond, and, and Brendan Donovan. I mean, as far as I can see it, they're either going to lead us to the playoffs or between injury and lack of production, you know, we're going to fall short because our offense isn't as good as we think it is. Um. Well, that's what I was gonna say. It's just like this this time of the year doesn't 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 that uh, get you excited? The potential of how good everyone can be. It's the the hope springs eternal um, whole mantra. Um, this is the this is the best time of the year where everything everything good that you think can happen can still happen. I absolutely believe that <clears throat> everything we talked about. Excuse me. Pardon me. Um, I absolutely believe everything we talked about can happen. I'm hoping a lot of it will or enough of it will, you know, to get us a division and, you know, see how we see how we do. 
when we get to the playoffs. You know, I mean, that's what's so fascinating about the postseason is that the, um, you know, is that the, you, you never know starting game one. I mean, last year was a very stark example of this, but it happens every year. Usually it's only like one of the really top teams that kind of flames up. But this year, you know, we had three of the four top teams were done, uh, you know, before they even really got started. And, uh, you know, only the Astros as one of the top two seeds made it through to the championship series, which is crazy to think about. Um, and so, you know, I'm very excited about what we got. I mean, if we announced tomorrow that we went out and signed uh, a better option as a middle uh, middle infield bench player, you know, insurance against Mason Wynn not performing, which I would, I would, you know, you, you've, I've talked enough on this pod. I think it's, you know, no, it would surprise nobody to learn that I would give him a lot of rope. Um, but you know, sometimes you you help the guy by letting him sit and watch a little bit, and. So I, I looked at that last week. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to talk about a couple of guys that might um, might fit. I really had three names in mind. Um, and they're kind of all a little bit different. Uh, the only thing that they definitely share is that they're all available right now. And they all play shortstop. Yeah, so you've got uh, Enrique Hernandez, Kike, I think is what he goes by, Ahmed Rosario, and Tim Anderson. So those three guys kind of all slot in at different price points, but all certainly affordable. They all come with their own kind of baggage or, you know, question marks. Uh, Hernandez is the oldest at 32 and Rosario is the youngest at 28. But do any of those three guys interest you? The only one that I really think might fit uh, just in terms of what we need well, I could see a couple of them, actually. The one that I don't think would fit would be Ahmed Rosario just because of his previous years that he's had. Um, he's been an everyday kind of player. The Mets originally then I think went over to Cleveland. I want to say that was in the was that in the Francisco Lindor uh, move and everything. Uh, yeah, Carlos Carrasco and Francisco Lindor. Um, and played there and played very well. I thought he was an all-star, but I don't think he ever actually made the all-star team, but had good a good year uh, after moving over to Cleveland and a decent player. Uh, but I think he's probably, I would think, be wanting to look for more regular time. Um, and I don't think we're a team that could offer him that because of Mason Wynn, and we would want some guy that 
would be okay sitting on the bench and fighting for a spot, which leads me into why I think Tim Anderson might be an interesting idea because of how bad of a year he had last year. He kind of needs a little prove it um, situation. Now, if I were Tim Anderson, I'd probably want to go to a team, take a one-year deal, go to a team like, I I don't know who needs a shortstop, but um, you could go to a team like, this is a bad example because they have Javier Baez, but go to a team like Detroit that's kind of up and coming or um, something like that or the Angels where you could get everyday minutes and if they are tanking, even like the Royals, if they're tanking or not going to do anything, they could trade you to a different team and kind of get you a fresh start. Um, So I could see him going that route, but he could also fit in with our club and be that backup. And, you know, if he can figure something out uh, and not have all the pressure on him and he can be that huge batting average on base guy that he was and when he won the batting title um, a few years ago, that would be super interesting and intriguing, especially as the year progresses. Um, and, you know, why couldn't we use him as a trade piece or something like that to get some pitching at the deadline or something like that? And then similarly, Kike could be something interesting as well with that. I almost wonder if he would want some more regular time versus wanting to be a bench kind of guy. But, uh, but yeah, less upside with him versus Tim Anderson, I think. Uh, but a higher floor probably considering how bad of a, a year Tim Anderson had last year. Um, in the case of the three guys I mentioned, all three of them had down years of varying degree. By far, Anderson's was the worst. He dropped to like a 586 OPS. He was bad on a bad team. And so, you know, and actually the team wasn't that bad till September when they kind of had it all in front of them and then they completely just crapped the bed. It was pretty bad. Um, And just gave that division to the Twins. Didn't even really put up much of a fight. So... In in all three of their cases, they're used to starting games. So definitely the one factor that would have to be addressed is can these guys become bench players? Um, you know, the way the Cardinals like to mix and match, I mean, I still think that gets you, you know, in the neighborhood of 300, 350 at-bats. Uh, which in uh, 2022, I think Hernandez got hurt, but he did. He he played in uh, 93 games, started 91 of them, and got 361 uh, at bats for the Sox. But he still only turned in at 6.29 OPS. That's that's replacement level, right? And yeah. so I could bring up like you said, Thomas or any of the other guys we got in the minors that potentially, you know, could could play a week or two uh, at short or just put Fermin there and live with whatever offense I get, right? So I could do those things. 
Um, but if one of these three guys had a real desire, I, I mean, Rosario's the guy I kind of like the best of the three. He's also, you know, at least in terms of projection, the most expensive. Uh, I just kind of like the guy. I've always thought he was a good player. And, you know, but you're right. It would be, it would have to be clear to whoever we signed that, you know, the Mason win experiment is going to continue and it's going to be, you know, more important than any former, you know, quasi star or bona fide star, you know, trying to get back to what they once were. And that's why Hernandez maybe is the most interesting because he's the oldest. You know, he's got nine, little over nine years in the league. So, you know, if you gave him a two-year deal after that, he'd have his 10. You know, I could think of a couple reasons why he might make sense. He seems like a winning player. It's one of the things I've always both hated about him because I feel like he was always – doing something to hurt the Cardinals. Uh, But it's also the thing I respect. So I don't know. Uh, When you look through the lists of available guys, it's not long. There's not many free agent guys with, you know, any significant shortstop experience that excite me a whole lot more than uh, Jose Fermin, right? Um. And, you know, and again, like we said, we're expecting Mason Wynn to, you know, to show up on the top step at the beginning of every game ready to go. Um, and, you know, that's that's going to be our most important thing. But right now our bench, I would say, is – I would say it's relatively weak. Um, I don't know. I haven't compared it to the other 14 National League teams to see exactly where it would rank. But I have a sense that it's not very strong. Do do you share that, or or do you think maybe I'm being a little a little pessimistic about our bench? I don't know. I think you might be a little bit pessimistic because I think we've got some we've got a depth of players. I wonder if it's a similar kind of depth issue or uh, situation as we had with the pitching staff. Uh, where maybe we have a lot of guys that are they're major leaguers, but there's like hardly any ceiling there. Is it that maybe? I don't think that's necessarily the case with like uh, Burleson, Carlson, some of those, but maybe a little bit. But I think we've got a lot of guys in that in that category. There, so I don't know. I could see it. I could see it going either way. And you look at it, and you have all right. We've got guys on our bench that we can mix and match in different scenarios, and we have flexibility. Um, but then the other side of the coin, maybe it's flexibility without any real big upside if you have to rely on those guys. I feel like from a from a Payroll perspective, the Cardinals have a have a pretty nice mix right now. Uh, I feel like if they needed to, they could always take on five to ten million in salary, which you know in today's game is not really that much. So, 
And I think we should maybe spend some time on the next pod talking about, you know, who those 12 arms might be, right? Um, and sometimes you're going to want 13 arms, you know, so you really only have a three-man bench, which becomes a two-man bench when, you know, Herrera has to be one of them. But with the versatility of some of the guys that we have, we could probably get away with that, you know, over a short period of time. That leads me a little bit into kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about tonight, unless you had something else you wanted to discuss. But, um, you know, the Cardinals made a move a couple weeks ago where they brought um, uh, Kime. Uh, what's his first name? I can't think of it. Kaim Bloom. Um, Kaim, oh, yeah, Kaim is his first name. Yeah, Kaim Bloom uh, th- into the I front think he office. It, it, I think he pronounced it Heim. Heim, that's right. No C. Yeah, my bad. Uh, apologize, Heim, if you're listening, which you probably are, trying to f- get some insight on your new ball club. But, um, yeah, they brought him in as a consultant to Mosellac. Uh Sounded like Mosellac was pretty excited about the move. Uh, I did a little bit of reading up on the guy. You know, a lot of success in Tampa and then four years with the Red Sox, I believe it was, during which they won the World Series, did they? Was he was he there when they won it last? I think he might have been. Ooh, I'd have to look uh, back and see. Yeah, I think he got there in 17. Was that the year they won it? Anyway, bottom line is the guy, uh, the guy, you know, is, has been thought of in the past to be a real, a real strong young talent. Um, in terms of front office, in terms of building teams. He gets a lot of heat. I think he was the guy who orchestrated the Mookie Betts trade, so however long ago that was. I think that was one of the first things he did. And uh, But the rumors are that, you know, that was an instruction from above. He yeah. was told to to get all the value we could. And they got Verdugo who I guess gave him a little bit of, you know, but I mean, they're never going to make up for that. You know, that's going to continue to be one of the worst trades in terms of just giving up a generational superstar. I don't know if the nationals are going to be feeling the same way in a couple of years about the Juan Soto deal, but they got, I think they got better prospects than the Sox did for Mookie. Um, but anyway, yeah, Heim Bloom, Bloom, uh, any thoughts? What do you, what do you think about the whole idea of going and bringing in an outside voice into the front office, a guy who, you know, I don't want to say is controversial really, cause I don't think he is, but you know, some people consider his tenure in Boston to be not super successful, um, any thoughts from you on, on Heim? Yeah, so as far as his time in Boston and everything, I I don't view it I almost view it similarly to like uh the offensive players for the Cardinals last year or, you know, 
players in the 2020 season and how much can you really take as um, using that to like extrapolate out from there. Uh, so his time in Boston, like you said, one of the first things that he did was trade Mookie Betts, but not on his own volition. He didn't walk in the door saying, ah, this is what we're going to do to start off the bat. We need to trade Mookie Betts. Um, so basically trying to pick up an, uh, an entire organization after you trade off um, Mookie Betts. And I think there's been a lot of, from what, I, what I've what i gathered, is a, a lot of restriction on payroll and um, spending and things like that within the organization. And they're not necessarily the Dave Dombrowski uh, Red Sox of, of the mid-2000s just spending like crazy. Uh, I should say more late 2000s. Uh, early 2010s um, where they just spent all over the place uh, for players. So I don't know how much I would take from his time in Boston and try to say if he's did a good or a bad job or anything like that. That's got to be a, a terribly hard situation to try to pick up a club out of. Overall, I think it's a good uh, a good pickup and um from what i gather he's gonna be more of an organizational culture creating structure creating organizational presence where he's gonna put in place uh certain um uh, approaches and and structures um as far as like pitching and things like that i think when his time in tampa bay was really centered around pitching uh, production and development of players, and he obviously, as you can see from the the players that came through the Rays system, uh, did a great job there with as far as that goes, and put together something really great. And so I think having even just having the that set of eyes and that voice in the room, doing something different than what the Cardinals have have done over the last decade, I think is going to be a positive thing. Um, I certainly think that he is. Uh, going to be kind of the potential next in line after Mo when his um, when his time is done as as president of baseball ops for the Cardinals. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a formality that it's going to be Heim Bloom at that time, uh, but uh, but I think it uh, and, and Mo alluded to this uh, at the winter warm up interviews and things that he did. Where it get, he said, I think the way he said it was, it lengthens their bench uh, as far as like front office goes. So um, gives the front office and, and ownership an extra option as far as what direction to go in, go with after Mo is is done with his time and in the front office. So uh, I think it's a good thing, you know, if you don't end up not liking him and what he did uh, over the next, you know year or two then no skin off your back and you just um you know move on from there uh, but if you look at the players that the team has brought in especially the pitchers this offseason you look at some of our rule five guys they were boston red sox pitchers you look at andrew kittredge that we traded for richie palacios a tampa bay rays player he would have connections there um, and so a lot of these a lot of these moves that we've made, uh, of course the, the Tyler O'Neill deal with the Red Sox too, 
Um, a lot of these deals that we made, the players that we brought in, have direct connections with Heim Bloom. Uh, so I certainly think there was some um, advisement um, as to the players that we ended up bringing in um, and, and who to kind of shoot for and everything there, which I don't hate that. Um, you know, if he's got some inside scoop on these guys and some familiarity, um, and he put together the players that he did and the track record that he has from Tampa Bay, I'm I'm willing to give it a shot and see what we can do because right now what we're currently doing is not working. So uh, I like it. Let's see what happens and if it works out and he could be our president of baseball ops, then great. Uh, so that's kind of my general thoughts on it now. Yeah, I think all that's very fair and, uh, you know, kind of even-minded. I think that, you know, again, I don't presume to know what business, you know, the business of baseball type things uh, the Cardinals need. You know, my assumption is it's ongoing, the management of your minor league system, uh, your, you know, evolving, uh, reliance on, you know, for example, higher level analytics, you know, the, uh, I'm certain that major league front offices look a lot different today than they did 20 years ago. And so you can never just like in every other aspect of the organization, you can't have enough talent. And so I think it was a great get for the Cardinals here uh, with Heim. Uh, and we'll see how he contributes. You know, at the end of the day, one thing that, you know, I don't feel like I've ever really taken it for granted, but it might not be something I think about every day, is that, you know, I think we all assume that the Cardinals' number one goal is to win the World Series every year. And we've talked about this. I've brought this up a number of times. It's kind of one of, one of my mantras is that uh, if it's not an organization's goal, well, darn sure should be. And I feel like I'm happy that I'm a fan. You know, that's kind of always their stance and always the way they proceed toward winning the World Series as soon as possible. Now, fans that sometimes uh, get frustrated, which we all do, I know I have, last year was especially frustrating, Um, but there have been many years in the past where I always wanted them to act more quickly. I don't think Mo is known as a brash guy or an impetuous guy in any way, shape, or form. Uh, And so... Sometimes we forget that, you know, there are constraints on every team. You know, we don't have a, uh, we don't have an endless amount of money just to buy our way out of our last problem. And, uh, and so I like the idea of bringing in more front office talent that could potentially, you know, especially a guy with like all the track record he had in Tampa uh, and then kind of coming into Boston with a mandate maybe to reduce some of the payroll, uh, you know, kind of straighten, if you will, the financial, uh, you know, path of the team, 
so that they don't get themselves. And I think, you know, one thing I will say for the Cardinals, I think they've done a pretty good job of not saddling themselves with a bunch of bad money on the books. I mean, obviously the, uh, a couple of the relievers we've taken a swing at over the last, let's just say decade. I'm thinking of like uh, Cecil, Brett Cecil and, uh, what was the dude from Atlanta that was supposed to be so good and didn't pan out? Um, you know, a couple of the big name guys we just haven't hit on. But even in those cases, we haven't gone crazy with the money. So I respect that. And I, you know, I hope that that's what the future looks like, uh, especially because. One thing, you know, the one thing you want to do in terms of keeping your powder dry is you always want to be ready at any trade deadline, especially if you feel like you're really right there to address whatever the immediate need of the team is that season. Um, And, of course, the perfect example of that was the Rangers and what they were able to do at the trade deadline, which took them over the hump and got them – you know, first got him into the postseason, barely missed one in the division. And then those guys that they had brought in, um, you know, not the least of which was Jordan Montgomery, took them to a World Series championship. So you always want to be in a position where you can make that kind of a move. And, you know, some people would say, oh, the Cardinals would never do that. Well, you know, back in the 80s, that was very common. You know, we had Will Clark, we had uh, Pedro Guerrero, who wound up staying a couple of years, but uh, we had, um, you know, and then even more recent history, you know, a guy like Beltron, and, you know, there have been those kinds of guys over the years, and you need them. You need to be able to go get one of those guys, um, you know, whether it's to provide a, a boost, you know, to to shore up a position uh, where maybe you're, you know, struggling with injury or whatever. Um, So I'm I'm feeling pretty positive about everything that's going on. Uh, What else are you thinking about tonight as we're, like I said, less than four weeks from pitchers and catchers reporting? Those were all the big things that I could think of. It's just really just excitement getting ready for, um, for some warm weather again, and and watching uh, spring training down in Jupiter, and and getting ready for the ex- getting ready for this upcoming season. I'm just I'm just looking forward to watching some good baseball again. Uh, yeah. So if that's all you've got, that's all I've got. Why don't we uh, Why don't we kind of end this here? Obviously, we thank our listeners for their continued support. Uh, We continue to invite any comments that folks have. Uh, They don't have to all be positive, but we'd appreciate, you know, a little grace if we could get it. It's always nice. Um, But mostly we'd like to hear what what you want to hear, what you want to hear more about, what you want to hear some, you know, what we consider ourselves just to be the average fans thoughts on a few things what do you talk about with your buddies what's the i mean i think we've hit the high topics i think we know what we're facing now what we need is a few more weeks to go by 
for the weather in Florida to warm up so that we can get guys out, you know, getting limber, stretching out their arms, uh, getting some swings in the cage, hanging out with their buddies, getting to know their new teammates, um, you know, maybe a few new guys on the bench that we haven't had. You know, some some maybe have been here before. Others are brand new to the organization. All those things are getting ready to happen here in the middle of February. And it's really exciting, like you said. We will get back together as uh, soon as we can. Uh, maybe we'll get some more uh, information on what's going on, more news about the Cardinals. Uh, you know, there's always something. You know, I like to kind of check in with the beat writers, and I just like to look at the national press, see what they're talking about. Um, but, yeah, we, uh, again, we appreciate everybody's listening tonight. And uh, this is Mark and Duncan. We are... Uh, Broadway and Clark uh, Cardinals Baseball Podcast and we um, we hope you'll be able to join us again next time so for now uh, good night and go Cardinals <laughs>